you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that's sort of going to be uh, the text that we'll look at a little bit here in a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, I've had my mind on this lesson for a little while now, preparing for it, and a recent article in one of the uh, major uh, news outlets uh, had a, uh, an article that sort of prompted me to, uh, to preach it, and in this article, they were talking about rapture anxiety. Rapture anxiety, and it described the childhood of, of this woman by the name of April Joy. She was raised in an evangelistic uh, denomination that taught the doctrine of the rapture. And she, she recalls her most dramatic moment in her life. She remembers when she was 13 years old and the house was completely silent. And she couldn't find her mom or her dad or her brothers anywhere. Matter of fact, she went into her mother's bedroom and there on top of the bed was a pile of her clothes. And that was pretty dramatic for this young child who was taught that the rapture was something that could happen at any moment. You know what this, uh, this doctrine teaches? That at some point that the righteous Christians are going to ascend into heaven while the rest of us will be left behind to uh, suffer in the great tribulation. And really the anxiety that this woman has, she says now that she's 34 years old and she still lingers uh, from it uh, from time to time when the house is completely silent. You know, there are other things in, the, in this life that have uh, perpetrated this doctrine. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker that said something to the effect of, you know, if this car is unmanned uh, or this car will be unmanned in the event of the, of the rapture? Or maybe you've seen the other one that says the rapture, the only way to fly. Or, or maybe you've even heard of businesses uh, that these pet care businesses that, you know, if you uh, subscribe to their service for maybe five or ten dollars a month, they will take care of your pet if you happen to be one of those who, have been, who are raptured. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're one of those who are raptured and go, go on and ascend into heaven, uh, they'll come and take care of your pet for you uh, because, you know, others will be left behind. But, of course, probably the most popular reason as of the last 20 years of this doctrine was because of those books, the Left Behind series. And even movies were produced. Uh, Nicolas Cage was in a movie called Left Behind. And again, it was based on these books. It was based on the event of the rapture. And you see in the, the highlights of the movie of, you know, planes in the air crashing because the pilot's gone or cars crashing everywhere, churches and hospitals empty. Well, the, the, the people that perpetuate this doctrine, they take these biblical concepts like the Antichrist and, and the Mark of the Beast and the Great tribu Tribulation and Armageddon, and they, make it, they mix it with some mysterious uh, other parts to it and perpetrate uh, what we're going to talk about here tonight. Is the rapture truly in the Bible? Is that what the Bible teaches? Should people be suffering in anxiety uh, of possibly being left behind? Well, again, it's interesting. It makes interesting sci-fi television, but what does the Bible teach? And so we want to discuss that here this evening. And before we discuss the, the rapture in depth, I want to talk about uh, what a lot of perpetrates uh, or what a lot of, uh, a lot of times uh, we go into the signs of the times. You know, some say the end is very near. And that Jesus is coming soon as if they have specific proof, you know, that there's some formula in the Old Testament, hidden formula in Scripture that they fig figured out. The end of the world prophecies, you know, we talked about these a couple of weeks ago, uh, have been made time and time again, yet never come to fruition. But others say, you know, we don't know the exact time, but there's going to be indicators. 
If you would, I know I told you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew at this moment, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, where, where a lot of this uh, actually comes from. Are there signs of the times? Is there really a way for us to know that the end is near? You know, people will say, well, there's going to be signs uh, as such as rumors of war and famines and earthquakes. You know, Matthew 24 is one of uh, the most abused and misinterpreted chapters in the Bible. You know, we could have lessons on it um, all to itself, and maybe we will at some point. But in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1, Jesus is coming out of the temple, it says, and then going away with his disciples. And they came up to him to point out the temple building. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. In verse 3, they're going to ask Jesus a question. They say uh, to Jesus, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, uh, they came to him privately saying, Tell us, Jesus, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They're asking here two different questions. Uh, when are these things going to happen? about the temple being destroyed as you just talked about, and also what are going to be the signs of your coming, of the end of the age. And the problem is a lot of people get uh, this chapter mixed up and they think that Jesus is answering either uh, all this whole chapter is in reference to uh, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, while others apply it all to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But here's how Jesus answers the question. Notice with me. And again, I wish we had the time to uh, go into this in detail. But in Matthew chapter 24, and maybe if you like to write in your Bibles, this is the time where maybe you'd like to draw a line between verses 35 and 36. Because in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through uh, 35, Jesus is describing the destruction of Jerusalem. He's answering that very first question that they ask him. And just notice a few of these verses. Verse 15, Jesus says, When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Um, and whoever is on his housetops must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. You know, he's saying here, when you see the abomination of desolation. Uh, Luke, in his gospel, he says, when you see the armies. He's talking about the Roman armies. When you see the Roman armies, you need to get out of here. You need to flee to the mountains. Uh, he even goes on to say in verse 19, Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, because you need to get out of Jerusalem as fast as you can. And then skip all the way down to verse 34, because here he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem all the way up into verse 35. But here in verse 36, he begins the new section where he's talking about the second coming. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. And really key in on that verse there, verse 36, only the father knows, not even the angels, nor the son. Yet again, some think they can figure it out. Right? That they can pinpoint the coming of Jesus. Again, Peter says it's going to be like a thief in the night. Again, thieves don't give you a hint when they are coming. It's a complete surprise without notice. And the amount of attempts to predict the end of times is overwhelming. But when will people simply just take Jesus at his word? When he says, no one knows, 
Not even the angels in heaven, not even Jesus. And so again, where do they get the idea of these signs of the times? Earthquakes, famines, those things have always been with us. Uh, Even the rumors of war, wars are always taking place. And so the first thing we want to establish here is let's establish this biblical truth that we are living in the last days. Jesus could come at any moment, but we don't know. Right? There are no indicators. There are no signs of the times. When Matthew is writing about the signs of the times, he's in reference here in verses 6 through 8. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's not talking about the end of times. And so let's talk about the rapture. Okay? Uh, first, let me say this about the rapture. We sing some songs in our hymn books that have the word rapture in it. You know, I, I've sort of been marking those down as I've seen those uh, numbered. Uh, a wonderful Savior, you know, I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, or blessed assurance, uh, talks about visions of rapture, and Jesus keep me near the cross, you know, the, the, the lyrics, till my raptured soul shall sing. You know, the, when we sing those songs, we're not talking about this doctrine of the rapture. Uh, all of the, those songs in particular, they were written 130 plus years ago. And this is an archaic word, uh, an English word, meaning a state of spiritual or emotional ecstasy. You know, this is not talking about the doctrine of the rapture. But, get, but again, when, when we sing those songs, it's talking about, you know, being pumped up. Right. And so let, let's re- remember that, you know, not that we need to feel guilty that we're saying uh, a word, uh, you know, of this doctrine of the rapture when we're singing those songs. But again, it's just an archaic word that uh, they're recorded in these songs, in these hymns. But so again, what is the rapture? Maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, you know, I still don't get it. What is it? Well, there are different forms of it. Uh, but here is a simplistic explanation. This is the false idea of the faithful being secretly raptured or caught up into heaven while everyone else is left behind for a period of time. An event taking place in the near future. You know, it's always, it's always near. It's always about to happen. And the faithful, they say, will be secretly raptured or snatched into heaven. Those who are dead in Christ and also those who are, are Christians that are alive at that time will be secretly raptured. And they get this idea from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 which you know, Paul is describing here, the second coming of Jesus. But in particular, look at verse 17. Paul writes, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And it's that word caught up that really this doctrine of the rapture has come from. You know, the word rapture is not found in the scriptures. Uh, This is an altogether word here, caught up. Uh, But again, they believe the idea is here, that at some point uh, the the faithful are going to be raptured secretly. Uh, But again, they say it'll be a silent, invisible event of rapturing the living saints and the righteous dead. Uh, we won't, or the people left behind won't see Jesus, but uh, those who are being raptured will while the rest of the world will be left behind. And it's really amazing when you sort of study this doctrine that really the the oldest, uh, uh, you know, uh, site that you can find is somewhere in the 1800s. You know, prior to the 1800s, no one knew anything of this doctrine, but yet it is so popular today. 
Well, let's talk about some of the problems of this rapture doctrine. And the first one we want to notice is that Christ's return, according to Scripture, is going to be visible. You know, there's no secret coming of the Lord described in Scripture. Remember in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, and those angels are standing around the apostles, and they say, you know, Galileans, why are you looking up there? Right? Uh, they told them that the same way that he ascended into heaven is the same way he's going to descend from heaven when he returns. You know, it's going to be visible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 describes that Jesus, when he returns, is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. Do you think that's going to be a visible event? It sure sounds like it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, the, the Hebrews writer uh, wrote this. He said, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins for many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You know, the Hebrews writer says Jesus is going to return a second time. And he's not going to return a third time. He's not going to come and secretly rapture his, 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 the Christians and then come back another time. But it's only going to be a second time. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. The Apostle John says, even those who pierced him. Again, the Christ's return will be visible. Let's also notice this. Christ's return will also be audible. If you're still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, uh, we didn't read this verse, but verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. Well, that's far from a secret and a quiet event, is it not? Someone said, actually, that this is the noisiest verse in the whole Bible, right? Because it's describing Jesus' return with the, uh, there's going to be a great shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. And you remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that we studied a few weeks ago that talked about the, 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 the passage about the end of the world. And it said, the heavens shall pass away with what? A great roar. Again, it's going to be loud. It's going to be audible. It's not going to be a secret, uh, quiet return as they've uh, uh, reported to be. Uh, thirdly, Christ's return will usher in the resurrection of both righteous and the unrighteous. Notice with me in John chapter 5, starting in verse 28 and 29, notice how Jesus uh, describes the resurrection day, the day of judgment. John chapter 5, again, starting in verse 28, he says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You know, again, the Bible plainly teaches the righteous and unrighteous will be re resurrected at the same time. An hour is coming, he says. Or do you remember the, the parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 13 of the, of the, the tares and the wheat? You remember this? He, he, he talks about this farmer who sowed good seed uh, in, his, uh, in his field, but an enemy comes in the middle of the night and he sows these tares uh, into his field. And it wasn't evident at first, but when they started to sprout up, it started to become evident that, you know, there, there, there's these tares in this field of wheat. And so his, his uh, workers, his servant says, Master, should we go out there? Should we tear up the wheat to get rid of it? But he says, no, leave them alone or you might damage the wheat. 
And then he says in verse 30, basically, that to take uh, at the harvest, at the end of days, at the end of time, go and gather up the, the tares and bundle them up and throw them in the fire and then gather also the good wheat and store that into my barn. And basically the idea that Jesus is teaching here is that, you know, the evil and good are going to live together. Uh, they're going to live together and there's going to be no separation. There's going to be no resurrection of only the righteous and then um, another resurrection at a different point. But the resurrection is all going to take place for both the good and the evil at the same time. And then another point we want to notice here is that Christ's return will be orderly. Christ's return will be orderly. What do you mean by that? Well, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 24 here and, and read uh, this verse here, uh, in, starting in verse 40. And so again, if you put that line in your Bible right around verse 35, 36, you notice that uh, verse 40 is in the second coming uh, section. And so here in verse 40, it says, uh, Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. And so people will say, well, look at that verse says there's going to be one taken and there's going to be one left. Right. The, the, uh, one's going to be raptured and one's going to be left behind. But no, in light of what we just studied and in John chapter five, verse 28, and 29, this all takes place at the judgment. Right. And so this is the righteous resurrection and the unrighteous resurrection. The man left in the field is about to be judged. The woman left at the mill is as well. Also notice the order we see back in 1 Thessalonians. I know you're, you know, you're probably tired of uh, turning to 1 Thessalonians, but uh, one more time, notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, notice this order. Again, Paul is writing to the people. They're concerned about those who have gone on and died uh, before Jesus has returned. And Paul is comforting them, letting them know that there's going to be some order on the day of judgment, uh, on the resurrection day. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, again, uh, we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall always be with the Lord. And again, there is an order to the resurrection, he says here. For the righteous, first the dead in Christ, the, the righteous dead in Christ will rise, and then also those who are uh, in Christ, who are alive, will also rise in the air to meet Jesus. And again, an hour is coming, he says. But according to the rapture theory, what happens to those who are left behind? You know, that's what we want to talk about here in our few minutes left. You know, you cannot find the answer in Scripture. But really, uh, if you were to follow those who, who teach this doctrine, you, you have to piece together a lot of figurative language in the book of Revelation and, and even in Daniel and Zechariah. And the answers vary quite a bit uh, when asking uh, what they believe. But here's just, again, here's a very generic, a very common view of what's going to happen uh, right after the rapture. Right after the rapture, uh, we go into that they... Excuse me, they will be taken into heaven and there's going to be a period of seven years. And these seven years are broken into two equal years, three and a half years and three and a half years. The first three and a half years, all the Jews are going to come back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. A powerful world ruler is going to arise. 
Uh, this is going to be known as the Antichrist. He makes a covenant with the Jews to guarantee their safety, but soon it's going to be revealed that he's actually working against the Jews, and he's going to begin to persecute them for that last three and a half years. And those left behind uh, during this whole seven-year period still have the opportunity to become Christians. Right? But, but they're going to be known as tribulation Christians. Uh, and the Antichrist is going to persecute them dearly. This is going to be the worst and most intense persecution the world has ever seen. And again, where do they get this idea? Well, if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, uh, we'll, we'll notice in verse 21, it talks about this great tribulation. Matthew 24 uh, verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. But again, if you put your line in the Bible in Matthew 24, verse 35, uh, we know that that verse comes in the section that we just talked about that's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Again, this is not the end of times. This is the destruction of Jerusalem. And this is when the Romans attacked the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. This is an historic event that truly happened that's recorded in secular history uh, where millions of Jews died, lost their lives, uh, but no Christian apparently died. They got out. They got the message that Jesus gave here in Matthew chapter 24. But um, over a million Jews reportedly died in this, this great and horrific um, destruction that happened. Notice in verse 34 again, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And at the end of the seven years, again, as we continue on our thoughts about the doctrine of the rapture, at the end of the seven years, the battle of Armageddon will take place. And these world armies will meet at an ancient battlefield, and many will be killed. This battle will spread across the world. Uh, but again, Israel is going to be the focus. And when it looks like all is lost, Christ will come back with his heavenly army and he'll set up a kingdom on earth for a thousand year reign. And again, the rapture supposedly kicks off all of these events. You might be thinking, as I just described, this, this doctrine, and again, a false doctrine, but you might be thinking, does this even matter? You know, so what? What's, what? Is this of eternal consequences? But the doctrine of the rapture, again, contradicts what the Bible says about the judgment day, and that's a very dangerous thing. Remember what uh, the Apostle John said in Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, that adding to or taking away from God's word uh, is not to be done. Well, the doctrine of the rapture, uh, again, is just not supported in Scripture. There's going to be no advanced signs that the end is near. There will be no secret coming of the Lord. There will be no rapture of the saints. The Bible says that at some unknown point in the future, again, the trumpet will sound uh, and the judgment day will happen at that moment. On that day, the earth will be destroyed, 2 Peter chapter 3, and the righteous and the unrighteous will stand before God at the same time. Remember, an hour is coming. Right? There, there's no seven years between uh, one uh, resurrection and another. But an hour is coming when both the righteous and the unrighteous, according to John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, will take place. And again, we don't know when he's coming again. He, Jesus even says in Matthew 24, it's like in the days of Noah. Uh, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, people will be eating and drinking and carrying on in their business as if nothing is happening. 
And then the floods came. And that will be just like when Jesus comes. And when we hear the trumpet sound, it'll be too late. You know, again, he is not dealing with the righteous only uh, at his return here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But he's talking of all humanity. And whatever condition we are in, we will answer in judgment. Again, no second chances. And again, no one will be left behind. This evening, as we uh, look through this lesson on, on the rapture, I'm hoping that uh, maybe uh, it helped you as maybe it's something you've never studied before or maybe it's something that you hear quite a bit out in the religious world. And I hope that uh, some of these passages that we talked about will help you as we continue, continue to uh, look at you know, what the scriptures have to say about uh, this day, this great day. And so this, this evening, as we uh, offer the invitation if anyone here this evening has not put on Christ in baptism, uh, is ready to be added to the Lord's church, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you about that or to help you in that decision. Uh, again, the waters are prepared behind us uh, to uh, be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Or this evening, uh, if you need to ask for prayers or the forgiveness or anything that you need to make known, this is a great time to do it in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ who can support you in those things. Again, just please let us know as together we stand and sing.